This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, everyone. Let's go ahead and get started here with our second presentation. And um, if anyone is, is new, I just want to... I'll mention again, it's a real privilege to share these seminars um, with Amy Smith. She's sitting back here, and she's going to be going a little bit later into real practical agriculture and evangelism and agriculture in itself. Um, in these first ones, we're talking specifically about the spiritual link between agriculture and our lives and really um, knowing God through the nature that he has created. So... Let's, let's pray real quick before we go into our second one here. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would that you come to this place, that you would fill us with your presence as we look at your word, as we look at nature that surrounds us and the lessons that can be learned from it, and as we seek to, to learn and to grow in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the, the pattern to the third power, and we'll go into this a little bit, and you'll see what we're talking about. Um, the, the three witnesses testify uh, to who God is. But first of all, let's start out with this, this question. Uh, it's a little bit of an ambiguous question. What is reality? How do you define reality? What is truly real? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, for instance, it's like parenting advice. And I'm not a parent myself, but I have two sisters that are married and have kids and, you know, the conversations about parenting and, and parenting advice. You know, you have parenting advice that, you know, on-demand feeding versus rigid schedules or um, leaving a child alone and let it cry itself to sleep or baby it and keep it in your bed all of the time or, you know, or never spank your children or spankings are really good and you should spank your children uh, um, a lot, you have these variety of, <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said it in that way, but <laughs> you have this variety of, um, of advice, and when it comes down to it, what is, what is love? What is reality when it, comes, when it comes down to, how do you know what truly gives life and what truly causes um, a child to be nurtured and to thrive and to grow? And, like, when it comes down to the garden, there's a whole bunch of different philosophies in gardening as well, and we could go into a whole bunch of those. But what is it? How do you know what, what truly gives life and what causes to, th to thrive? Just a quick recap on what we talked about in the last seminar. Um, God created man uh, to have dominion in his image, in the image of God, in his smaller sphere of influence, in the same way that God has dominion in his in his larger sphere of influence. Um, and d dominion is, uh, like we were talking about, a channel of blessing that, goes, that flows out to give life to everything in its sphere of influence. Think of the life of Abraham and how Abraham had a huge family, right? I mean, probably most of them, not all of them, were really his family, but he had this sphere of influence where people joined him because... He, he was, in, in essence, a little river of life out to all of these people that surra were surrounding him. 
Um, and again, just the, 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 the contrast between dominion versus domination, where godly dominion is this channel of blessing, and domination on the other side is sucking life. It's like a ruler that is, that is seeking to suck life from those that are under his sphere of influence for himself, to keep everything for himself. Um, so, where, where do we see um, a picture of God's dominion? Where did we talk about seeing a picture of God's dominion? In nature, in his creation, in the garden, in the sanctuary. Um, Remember that out from God's throne flows this expression of who he is, um, his way, the derrick, the Hebrew word, his way, his manner, his course of life, who he is. And that, so God, God is the source of life, and um, as such, he is the one who ultimately defines life. He defines what life is and what life is not. Um, he is the pattern he is the way of love. He is, which is his manner. It's his habit. It's, it's his course of life. It's who he is. And Adam was made in the image of God. He was a reflection of God's dominion on this earth. Out from Adam's life was to flow a river of blessing, nourishing and cherishing um, the plants and the animals and the people within Adam's care, within his sphere of influence. So um, that, that was just a little recap of what we were talking about. Um, in this one, we're going to talk about how does God communicate his way to man? How is it communicated to us? How, how does he do it? I should just ask the question. How does God communicate his way to us? Okay. Through, through his word. That's the first one that I heard from everyone. Um, then there's nature, revelation, I heard. Um, the spirit of prophecy which is ultimately his word. We're, we're going to sp specifically touch on his wor word. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, God communicates. When we communicate to each other, um, we speak. And our words communicate what we're trying to um, express to someone else. Of, co of course, there's also our, our facial expression and all of that that goes into it as well. But specifically, God communicates his way to us. He describes his way to us through his word. And you'll see that his word takes on more than just, um, just the words that come out of his mouth or, or the word of God um, as we have in his, in his written form, in his word. The word, the word of God, um, ultimately when it came down to it, when Adam and Eve were in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, the word of God literally defined their existence, didn't it? It, it defined, in fact, it, his word was what came to them and said, you can eat of all of the trees except this one tree, right? So in essence, God's word defined their existence, what was true, what was not, what, what they could do, what they could not do. And um, then his word defined their existence in that it was his word that created everything that was around them as well. Um, the word of God, uh, and ultimately we know God's image through his word. Uh, the word of God gives us the reality of who God is. It gives us the reality of what gives life and the reality of what brings restoration. Um, going back to that original question, you know, what is reality? How do we know what is true? Ultimately, 
there's only one place that we can go, and that is to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is the reality of who God is. It is the reality of what gives life and what brings restoration. So, the pattern to the third power, God's Word revealed three times over. And this is, this is where we, we are going to... Uh, the first part of this is... I'm going to touch on how nature reveals the image of God, and we're going to spend most of our time on this one and on the last one, because specifically we're here to talk about agriculture and to talk about nature and how it reveals um, God. How does nature reveal the image of God? And I would like to just make the point here as well that whenever we see the Word of God, in any of these three forms that we're going to go through, starting out with nature, we are catching a glimpse into who God is. We're catching an understanding of who he is. So nature reveals uh, the image of God. The seen world that is around us, the, the nature that surrounds us, teaches us about the unseen. Nature, in the last seminar, we were talking about how nature is literally a product of God's thought. God thought and he spoke and it was. And so in his nature, we're catching a little glimpse into his mind, into who he is. In Psalms 33, 6 through 9, talks about how by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them. And God put Adam in the garden, surrounded by nature, to catch a glimpse of who he is. We catch a glimpse into God's mind through his creation, like a painting tells us about the creator, the character of the painter. Um, and when it comes down to it, Jesus over and over uses it, uh, uses nature for his parables. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about a few different aspects of nature that show us a glimpse into God. First of all, talking about fruit. We talked about this in the last seminar as well. Fruit being that the farmer expends his life for fruit, does he not? We, we put our energies into the garden to expend our life for fruit. And then he ends up getting life back from the fruit, from the energy that he put into it, right? And when it comes down to it, Jesus gave himself for fruit. He expended his life. He gave his life for the fruit of our hearts, for the fruit um, of us. And in return... We, there, he, 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 he is seeking um, that we should bear much fruit. And in bearing much fruit, we honor and we glorify him. Uh, fruit of a sacrifice of praise, of honor, respect, obedience. All of these are fruit that returns to God. The fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. As well as the fruit of um, our relationships with one another. And bearing fruit, Jesus used the parable of the... Of, the harvest is, is, is ready, but the laborers are few. Who is going to go in and reap the fruit of the harvest? Um, when, when we bear the fruit of God, when we bear his love, his joy, his peace, his long-suffering, we are, in essence, um, confirming who he is. Because ultimately, we are... We are to be the image of God to this world, the reflection of who he is to this world. Um, another, 
Another um, aspect of the natural world is that you reap what you sow. Um, when we go into the garden, um, we end up sowing seeds into our garden, and we expect to receive back from the seeds that we sow exactly what we sowed, right? In fact, if you plant a lettuce seed, there's no way that you're going, it's going to grow a zucchini. You reap, you reap what you sow. Whatever, whatever is sown grows and produces the fruit um, from, what, from what is sown. And in connecting it with, uh, with our spiritual lives, um, seeds, seeds can be connected with our ideas and our thoughts that are, are sown into the soils of our hearts. Um, when, it comes down to, when it comes down to the natural world and the connections between the natural world and the spiritual, Jesus makes the, the illustration, and actually it goes all the way back to the Old Testament where he talks about breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts. Our hearts are, uh, are a, an example. The soil, actually, I should say, is an example of our hearts. And you, you all remember the parable of the sower. And when Jesus went out to sow, what was the seed that was sown? The word of God was the seed that was sown into the soil. And um, so when it, when it comes to our hearts, what, how, do we, how, do we, um, how do we make sure that our hearts are a ready place to receive the word of God? You know, I was thinking about this one day as I was, um, I was walking along. I live on, on a farm with my family, Bountiful Blessings Farm. And I was walking down the road one day, and I was, I was asking the Lord to, to show me something, to teach me something from the nature that surrounded me. And I was, as I was walking along, the, the, the thought came to my mind about when, when God talks about breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts. And in Jeremiah, we can turn there real quick, in Jeremiah chapter 4. In Jeremiah chapter 4, it says, For thus saith, um, in verse 3, Jeremiah chapter 4, in verse 3, it says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. What does this give you a picture of? And, and then in the next verse it talks about, Circumcise yourself to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's talking about the heart. It's talking about breaking up the fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. When we go out to a field... Um, to sow, to sow, what is the first thing that we do? We, cl- we clean out the, the old plants, the residue, whatever is there, and, and literally what, what we're doing, what are we doing to the ground? Digging, preparing. What is that preparing? We loosen up the soil, right? Before we do the seeding, we loosen up the soil. Why do we get rid of everything that is there before we put the seeds in? To, uh, some people were saying, protect the seeds. What was that? 
to, to prepare it for the seed that's going to be planted? If, what would happen if you didn't? What would happen if you just had a, seed, a field that was full of weeds and you... The weeds take over. If, if you put the seed into it, some of them wouldn't even grow, would they? Because they wouldn't have any contact with the soil. They wouldn't come down into the soil and sprout out and, and to give, um, give new life. But in that preparation, when you clear everything out, what are you literally doing to that soil? You're laying it bare, aren't you? You're laying bare the soil. The soil, and, and one thing about nature is that it does, not like to, it does not like to ever be laid bare or to be naked. It will constantly grow something. Um, you know, seeds will, will come up. It, it, it wants to cover itself. But literally, you break up that ground. You lay it bare for the seed to be able to be sown and take root. And... And I was thinking about that in connection with our hearts. Are our hearts laid bare before the throne of God? Do we truly break up our hearts and lay them bare before God and humble ourselves and allow the word of God and his seed to come and take root and be able to grow in our hearts? You reap what you sow. And, and, and that, can, that can get very practical, specifically, you know, even in, the, even in the morning when you open the word of God and you're allowing, allowing his seed to enter into your life, his words to enter into your life, is your heart uh, a ground that is prepared for the word of God to live and to grow? You reap what you sow. And this, this, this principle carries over into absolutely every single area of life. Um, you reap what you sow in your relationships with other people. Uh, if you sow um, harshness, you know, you, you reap a destroyed relationship. Um, it transfers over into, into literally everything, doesn't it? Um, everything, it, it's, a, it's a principle that carries through. This is, this is one that is especially um, meaningful to me, is, you know, there's, this, there's, a, there's a huge talk about faith and works when it comes down to the Christian life and our experiences and growing, growing into Christ. Um, what, when, it comes, when it comes down to it, what is the work that the farmer must do in the garden? To dig, to sow, what else? Water, Weed, anything else? Harvest, plan, plant. The, there, there, so is there, a, is there a work that the farmer does in the garden? To, what would happen if the farmer didn't do any of those things? There, there would be no garden, right? The, the farmer literally has to go out. But what can the farmer not do? You can't make it grow. There's nothing that you can do to make that seed grow when you plant it. Um, you're literally, you're literally, you plant it into the ground, and it's a complete miracle of God. I mean, in fact, science can't even describe what, how, how does that seed sprout, except that the Word of God says that it will. Um, it, will it will sprout. 
And think of it, think of it, think of it in this way. And you know, the beautiful thing is that God in his word talks about himself being the farmer as well. You know, he is the one that farms our hearts. But he's given us, he's given us his word. And uh, for instance, if I came down and, and I gave my friend, just pretend that this is, um, pretend that this is like an apple or something like that. If I gave my friend this apple and say he, that, he, that he's starving, he's hungry, he needs nourishment. If I gave him the apple, does he, does he have it in his possession now? Is it his? I gave him a gift, right? And it's his, and it's in his possession. Is he, is he nourished? Why not? Because he hasn't eaten it yet. So what, what does it take for him to take this gift and nourish him? To literally eat it, right? Um, I know that's just an incredibly simple illustration, but, but in, in the same way, it is so profound that God has given us his word. He's given us his life. But we must take it and eat it. And when we do, what was it that the, what was it that the farmer could not do? He could not grow the seed. He could not make it germinate. You can put the word into your life, but you cannot make it germinate in your heart. You cannot make it germinate in your heart. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. The Pharisees spent hours and hours in the word of God. They had the thing memorized, but it was not necessarily germinated in their heart. This isn't just a, this isn't just a, a, a principle of um, going and spending your life on your knees in prayer and reading the word, but it's a matter of our hearts. Are, are our hearts receptive to God's word? Are we ready to receive it and allow God to work a miracle in our lives, to sprout it himself because we cannot make it happen? But at the same time, we must take time to seek God on our face, Amen. to seek him, to open his word, to read it, and like the farmer, God has given us the seed. He says, go plant it. Go put it in your heart. Read it. But at the same time, there's nothing that we can do to make it grow. Um, faith, faith and works. He's, he's given us his life to go and to fill our hearts with it. But only he can make it sprout. Okay, going on to our, our, second, our second one here. Um, remember, we were talking about the, the pattern to the third power. And the, so nature, nature reveals um, the life of God. And in nature, we see a, a connection of how God longs to work with our hearts, don't we? His relationship to us. Um, we see a, a picture of who he is with his river of life flowing out. From his throne. We see a picture of who he is. And the second, the second pattern that God has given, the second way that, he, and, and uh, nature, talking about number one, nature is his word spoken and became reality, isn't it? 
It's his spoken word, um, and then it's the creation. So in essence, nature is a, a, a part of his word. It's his reality. Um, the second is the Bible. The word of God reveals the image of God. And we'll touch on this real quick. God shares his heart through writing. And uh, like I was mentioning in the, first, in the first one, the Bible is full of, of pictures and motifs of who God is through his word. Um, and literally often it, these pictures come from the nature that surrounds us, doesn't it? Does it not? Because he's trying to express who he is. He defines the way of love in commands to his people. He says, this is what gives life, and this is what doesn't. Um, this is what builds relationships, and this is what doesn't. But in, when it comes down to it, language is limited when it comes to expressing a heart, the heart of God. When it comes down to it, you, the language, and God you know, has done a, a beautiful job of expressing himself through his word, but in itself, language is limited when it comes to expressing him. So both nature and the Bible point us to the ultimate revelation of God's word, and that is um, in the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus reveals the image of God. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was what? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of God defines our reality. It defines what is life, what is true. And the life of Jesus is the ultimate revelation of what that is, um, the image of God. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's word in human flesh. Um, we're going to go back real quick to the Garden of Eden and then come down to the life of Jesus as we um, finish here. The, the rebellion... There is only one thing that defines what gives life and what builds relationships, what is within law, what is orderly, um, what will produce good fruit, and that is the word of God. And in John 14, 6, it says that Jesus is the life, and he came that we might have life, that we have, might have it more abundantly. With God is the fountain of life. The very first temptation was to doubt the word of God, wasn't it? He said... Um, has God, has God really said that you can drink, that you can eat of the trees of the garden? Um, doubting God's word. God, in that, in that instance, defined what was life and what was death. Did he not? He said, this is life. You can, drink of all, you can eat of all of the trees, but if you eat of this one, um, you shall surely die. He defined what was life and what was not. But Satan came along and he says, and what did he say? You will not surely die, will not surely die if you eat of this. Um, literally, Satan cast doubt on God's word. He cast doubt, he cast doubt on God's dominion, on his way of love, on what God said would give life and what God said would not. What God said would nourish and thrive and what God said would not. Um, there's only one thing that defines life, the, the word of God. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, rebellion against God is rebellion against love, is it not? 
because God is love. So Adam and Eve um, doubted, and the seed of rebellion was sprung in their hearts. And what was, what was the first manifestation of that rebellion? Selfishness? What else? Fear? Sin? Hiding, right? There, there was hiding, there was a covering up. Um, blame? Adam and Eve started um, casting blame on, on each other, on God. Um, there was a, the, the fruit of selfishness was sprung up in their hearts. And so let me ask you a question, because we're talking about God's dominion, um, his course of life. Was Adam, was Adam a river of life nourishing and cherishing his wife when he blamed her for giving him the fruit? No. He was not in God's dominion of life-giving. Was he... Does, does hiding build up a relationship? Or does, does blame build trust in relationships with each other? No. no. Um, all of a sudden, Adam, we see Adam entering into, and, it, and it's, not, you know, it's not just exactly you know, the, the perfect example of it, but this, this um, aspect of domination, life-sucking, seeking to protect oneself instead of to give life to someone else. Um, anti, and ultimately it's anti-relational. Um, unhealthy relationships focused on the well-being of myself, right? And not the well-being of others. So, um, when, it, when it comes down to it, we, we end up being what, what is Jesus called? There is the, Adam was called the first Adam, right? And Jesus is called what? The second Adam. Adam was, was created to be an example of God's life flowing out to those around him and, and to nourish this garden and to be an example of who he was. And Jesus later came and was that example, wasn't he? Amen. Um, now, we, what, what, we are the sons of who? We are the sons of Adam, and ultimately, we end up becoming the children of rebellion, do we not? In our hearts is the natural selfish desire to seek and to grasp for ourselves, isn't there? Um, and the fruit of the selfish heart is always selfishness. It, in the Word of God, it talks about how... Uh, do I have it on here? Um, no. The... It talks about how, in Matthew 7, 16 through 18, it talks about how every good tree brings forth good fruit, while every corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. The car- and in Romans, how the carnal heart is enmity at, or at war with God and is not subject to his law. It's not subject to his way, his manner, his course of life, um, his habit. Neither indeed can be. The fruit of a selfish heart is always selfishness. We must be born again. We must be grafted into the good tree. A, 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 a tree was born um, in Adam, a tree of selfishness that we are all descendants of. And a selfish tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Only a miracle of God can switch it to make it bear good fruit. Only being grafted in to the true tree, which is Jesus Christ, which came as the image of God restored. God came and planted a good tree in Jesus Christ. He came as the second Adam. He was God's dominion, his way, his habit, his manner, his course of life, his moral character lived out in human flesh. He was love. And what man could not do in the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Christ lived the life Adam was to have lived in the image of God only under much harder circumstances. And Christ became the only way for the image of God to be restored in our hearts. I want to know Jesus. I want his life to pulse through my veins and to give life to those around me. Ultimately, you and I were created to be an expression of God's heart, of who he was, to be his habit, his manner, his course of life, his moral character, his love. And I want to be restored into his image. Is that your desire, to be restored into his image? And I hope that in these first two presentations, you've caught just a little glimpse about how, of how nature gives us a picture of what his image is like, of how his image is one that just like a gardener goes out to, to nourish the garden, to help make it grow, to seek to give the best environment for his plants to thrive. So we are created in the image of God to be a, a fountain of life, to nourish and bless those in our influence in, in the same way that we do in the garden. And Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Let us seek to know him. In the next, in the next seminar at, at 2 o'clock, I'll be sharing um, practicing the pattern, getting a little bit more practical in our hearts. What does it mean to, to seek God, to break up our hearts like the fallow ground, to seek him and to know him with our whole hearts, to be found... Um, in him, to enter into that river of life that flows out to nourish those around us. As, as we wrap up, I want to just think about something for a moment. Imagine the God of the universe. The God of the universe. Here is the God that has breathed out stars into existence. Here's the God that he's created every living thing. God that has created our hearts. The God who has created you and me. He is, he is beyond um, comprehension how large and magnificent and huge he is. He has a ruling dominion over everything in this whole universe, in this whole world. And he came down to this little speck of an atom of an earth to reveal himself to you and to me. Like a little seed. He came down to be planted. The Bible says like a root out of dry ground. And as a miracle, he allowed for us to be grafted into himself, that his life could flow through us to those around us. You know, in the beginning, when um, Adam and Eve first sinned, it, it was, it was a mystery. Here they were. They were a good tree planted 
and somehow uh, they ended up bearing bad fruit, didn't they? When they chose to rebel against God. Can anyone explain that? How can you live in a perfect world and end up bearing bad fruit? And yet at the same time, the flip side comes to us. Here we are, broken and evil trees, bearing bad fruit. It's an absolute miracle that God can change our hearts and bear his fruit through us. Amen. 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 Let's seek him. Seek him and find him. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, we want to know your word. We want your life to flow through us. Teach us to seek you and find you until we truly know you. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with with who you are, that we would see a picture of who you are through the nature that surrounds us. That you would, as we go out into our gardens, as we grow the food, as as we put our hands into the soil, that you would teach us lessons of how to cultivate our hearts and cultivate the hearts of those around us that we would learn what it means to to walk in your way. That we would learn what it means to reflect your image to this world, to know your love, and to reveal it to those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC A supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.